So hello and welcome to the latest episode of Turing's Triple Helix, the podcast channel for Scotland's AI strategy. I'm Steph Wright from the Scottish AI Alliance, and today I have with me several guests to talk about the use of AI in healthcare in Scotland, specifically in breast cancer screening. I have Dr. Gerald Lipp, who's the clinical director of the Northeast of Scotland Breast Cancer Screening Programme and a consultant radiologist at NHS Grampian. Uh, and joining Gerald today are Rosie and Liz, who are part of the patient partner team at University of Aberdeen. So thank you so much, everyone. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Hello. <laughs> we'll now kick off with some questions and we'll see how things go. So uh, we'll start off with Gerald. Um, can you please tell us a bit about the Northeast Breast Screening Programme? How many well, users, what area it covers, etc. No problem, Steph. Thanks very much for the, the lovely intro. And thank you to Rosie and Liz for joining us today as well. Uh, Rosie and Liz obviously live uh, in, in, in our catchment, which is the Northeast of Scotland Breast Screen Program, and they're both uh, participants from the age of 50 to 70. Every three years, we invite women to come for their seven rounds of breast screening. So they'll get it seven rounds between the age of 50 to 70. We have a, uh, two machines in the centre, which is in Aberdeen, and then we have two mobile units that just rotate throughout the northeast of Scotland, all the way from the edge close to Dundee to the edges to Elgin uh, and Forest, and then right up to Fraserburgh and Peterhead. And then we have the machines then that off go all, go to the islands as well of Orkney and Shetland, and all those mammogram images are brought back to the centre, and they're read in the screening centre by myself and my colleagues uh, who are screen readers. And uh, it's probably not too well known, but it's read by two uh, professionals who require a good five, six years of training before we're allowed to read mammograms. Uh, and and then the decision from the mammograms at that stage will then say, do the women get called back to the second round of screening, where we bring them back to a clinic in Aberdeen Royal Infirmary for further investigations, or we say, these mammograms are fine, everything's good, We'll see you again in three years for your next mammogram. That's brilliant. Thank you very much, Gerald. Um, over to you, Rosie. Uh, thank you for joining us today. It'd be great if you could tell us a bit about yourself and your diagnosis and your cancer journey so far. Hi, um, I'm Rosie and I'm 71. And um, I'm married to Derek. And next year we are hoping to party for our golden wedding. I have a daughter who is 45 and a grandson who is 15. Derek plays a lot of golf and I do a lot of walking, three or four miles every day, just to keep well. I've been a patient partner for over 10 years and have really missed seeing them this past couple of years. So I was in, I went for breast screening if, uh, as an over 50, I was called in March 2002 and I was called back and I had a lumpectomy, which I had to get a little bit of wire into because the cancer was so small. I would never have found it myself. So I sing the praises of the mammogram team every time. So in in, I, after my lumpectomy, I had four doses of chemotherapy, followed by the 25 of radiotherapy. And after that, I've had mammograms every year up until 2011, when I was attending as an in, outpatient at the inpatient x-rays. Then I was signed off 
and back to the breast screening clinic to be called every three years. And in July 2014, cancer was detected again. Um, so in September 2014, I had a mastectomy, followed by more chemo, but no more radiotherapy. And since then, I'm fine. That's great news. Thank you so much, Rosie, for sharing your journey with us. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, so happy for you. That's, that's brilliant. Um, thank you so much. And on to Liz. Um, can you tell us a bit about this patient partner team um, with that you both? Yes. Involved? Hello there, everyone. Um, I've been a patient partner for just just over the year now. Um, and in fact, we sort of learn a scenario that we then pretend to be um, the patient. And this is to give the Aberdeen Uni medical students practice of dealing with patients. Um, and it, it's absolutely wonderful. It's, it's a real privilege to be part of it because when you work with the different year groups, you see how they're progressing and you know, you know, you're helping develop the empathy and particularly under COVID circumstances, we're all online. And actually, I've only ever done scenarios online. So when we eventually get back into the study centre, it'll be very, very strange for me. And the, the admin team are absolutely phenomenal because I, I think I think I'm right, Rosie. There are about 200 patient partners altogether and they're dealing with us. Uh, over time and we just volunteer for whichever sessions we're able to do and I usually do about one a week some people I know do only one a year but we're all made to feel so welcome and and it's felt to be a very valuable service for the students the students without fail always say oh thank you so much you know I've learned so much and we're we're quite kind in the way we give our feedback in where you know we're encouraging well perhaps you could have thought of this or maybe you could have added that um, and the the admin team are absolutely phenomenal and they are always so thankful for the the participation we have and, and I think Rosie will agree our aim is just to make better doctors who can talk to people more readily. We don't have the medical knowledge. We have it all on our script in front of us. And sometimes we can't pronounce the names or we can't remember what tablets we're on. But apparently that adds to the reality of the scenario. Um, and I think one of the, the hardest sessions that we do is the breaking bad news scenarios. And it, it's very meaningful for everybody. Um, you know, the patient partners and the students, and it, it really gives them an idea of, um, you know, how to speak to people in the best possible way. So it's a wonderful thing to be involved with. It really is. I, I, I can't highlight enough. It, it's wrong to say the pleasure we gain from it, but the satisfaction in knowing that hopefully they're, they're getting better and better as they progress through the years. Can Can I just add something? Absolutely. Um, I, I don't actually do scenarios. I just go and be a body. <laughs> <laughs> and we do have, we have lots of laughs. And it is, it's really, it's really, you know, fun to be involved with them. So my dad was a teaching doctor. So I, when I saw an advert that they were needing, um, you know, people to come, I thought, yes, this is for me. That's brilliant. And I'm sure Gerald and you know other clinicians, thank you for, you know, preparing the next generation of doctors that come through. Yeah, truly, Steph. I think that's that's the, the big difference here because uh, we want to bring some humanity to the AI in future. And I remember as a medical student doing the OSCEs, I think we got the Breaking Bad News scenario, Liz, and 
I think by the end we were all crying in the room together. So that was good. I, I passed that one. So because I got the empathy part definitely right there, and Rosie as well for the examinations. And that really leads into the AI conversation, which uh, Steph will bring us to today, because there's there's always talk about you know machines taking over the world, and I think the key part is having folk like yourself to be on our patient panels to say, well, have you thought about this? Have you looked at that bias? Have you really fed this into the algorithm? And how are you guys going to work with it in future? And that that sort of patient involvement and uh, public involvement is is key to developing better AI and more humane AI as well. But I'll, I'll leave back to Steph, you're leading the podcast here. Oh, no, that's brilliant. Fantastic. Like you said, uh, you know, on to let's talk about AI. Uh, Gerald, um, the program's use of AI was highlighted as a case study in Scotland's AI strategy. Um, so for the benefit of our listeners, it'd be great if you could please tell us about the program's use of AI and what the intended benefits are for both clinicians and patients. Yeah, so I think that what really came to fore was the article in Nature that was broadcast on BBC News uh, on New Year's Day in 2000, 2002 years ago, before all this COVID stuff happened. And it was like, wow, uh, AI is as good or better than a radiologist. And I think that that's the sort of narrative that sometimes has come out a bit wrongly, that AI uh, replaces human. I think the way we want to show it is that AI works very well with the humans, especially in a reader program like Scotland, where we have two readers. And in 2018, we got a good big grant from Innovate UK, and that helped set up something called iCAD, which is an AI consortium, uh, mostly based in Aberdeen and Glasgow, looking at how we can do best research. So we got uh, the mammogram portfolio, where we took four years of data from the Scottish Breast Screening Programme in the northeast of Scotland, which is about 80,000 over cases. And we then put it into anonymization. And once those cases were anonymized, they were put into a safe haven, a digital safe haven called uh, Shape, which was built by Canon. And at that stage, the AI company that we were working with called Chiron dialed in and again, anonymously looked at the images and gave an AI score on those images. So all that was very, very interesting because we're starting to produce data to say, this is real life data. These are women in Northeast of Scotland. How does the AI work out of the box? What, are the, what is needed to make it work even better to, for the population of uh, Scotland as well as Northeast? And it was really interesting because we learned about calibration, we learned about things changing with machines and software, and we learned, uh, well, what was the true performance, which is being uh, prepared now for a journal article that we're going to submit in the new year. I've already pre presented some of the earlier work at uh, the Radiological Society of North America, which is a large meeting of international radiologists uh, last two weeks ago in Chicago, and that was really well received. So Scottish data, Scottish AI, we're getting out there, and I think we're going to make a big change. That's brilliant. Thanks very much, Gerald. Um, my next question, Rosie, is to you, Rosie. Uh, but I'm I'm not sure if perhaps it's the right question. But uh, you know, I had in mind that you know if you could tell us a bit about the impact of the use of AI on you and your patient experience. But I'm not sure if there has been. No, I think I have. Um, you know, my cancer has been too early for for me to be involved with the AI thing. But I'm really interested because I have a daughter who's, as I say, is 45 and we've been through genetics and she gets um, a mammogram every year now as well because of me. So obviously, you know, the AI thing is, you know, going to be um, more, you know, up her street. <laughs> <clears throat> 
That's brilliant. Thank you. Well, well, on to my next question, which Gerald's kind of touched on so far, really. Uh, and it's a question for all three of you, really. Um, the program's use of AI is all about augmenting a clinician's diagnosis uh, and not replacing it. Uh, they're advocates for both human-in-the-loop applications of uh, AI and radiology and full AI automation. So, i.e., the AI does it all. Humans are not involved. Um, it'd be great to hear your thoughts on this. I'll give Gerald the last word on this, but it'd be great. I'll, I'll give um, uh, over to Liz. Okay, I, I think um, I was involved, as I think Rosie was, with a discussion of with other patient partners a few months ago, sort of in the in the early stages of this research, and I, I came away sort of thinking, oh gosh, have I changed my mind from the idea of sharing, so a, a human and AI or to full AI automation. And certainly as a, an ordinary person in the street, full AI to start with sounds, oh, I don't think I, I don't think I like the idea of that. I, th I think I would want a, a person involved as well. Um, but as we went through the discussion, perhaps there was more and more reassurance that actually programmed properly. And I think that was the concern that the ordinary person had how was it going to be programmed properly? But if it was programmed properly, it didn't get tired, it didn't go on holiday, it didn't have eye strain, and therefore the results could be more reliable. But it's just, I think, getting those ideas over and, and giving people proof that that would be the case, that if you were going for the full AI, then it would be totally reliable. Um, but I, I think as humans, we, we sort of almost want a human to be involved. And it's it's a sea change of, of ideas, really, as we move into this more and more technological age. Thank you very much, Liz. Over to you, Rosie. What are your thoughts on this? I think because obviously there's such a shortage of radiologists, um, you know, if there's if they can do a preliminary one, AI, and then then, you know, further down the line, there's still a human involved. I think, you know, that's um, absolutely perfect. And I would always, I mean, I had a friend who said, oh, I had a letter came in for a mammogram. I didn't bother going. And I said, well, look what happened to me. Um, you know, so I always tell everybody, just go. And nobody knows um, who's reading um, our mammograms. You know, we know very little about what happens unless, unless you're called back. <laughs> But um, no, I'm, I think it's it's such a great step forward. Thank you very much, Rosie. And, and then over to you, Gerald. I mean, I, I assume you can obviously see the points of both camps, but it, it'd be great for you to kind of, you know, present both sides of the story. <laughs> very much, yeah, very much so. And I, I think that brings in something that maybe um, that was questioned in past about the screening program itself, even with, without AI with humans, was calling too many women back and overdiagnosis. And I think we, we could go down that path there because the AI at the moment probably will call back more women, but it will pick up, because it's calling back a few more women, it'll call it'll pick up more cancers. And does it justify having the additional worry of calling back women who are, who will turn out to be okay in the end and not have a problem or not uh, compared to the current standard with the two humans? Uh, what do you think about that, uh, Liz or Rosie? I, I think you would rather be called. I think you would rather be called back and then reassured mm. than than not be called back. So mm -hmm. I mean, I think you know, if if the machine, if the robot calls you back, um, in it, and the, and they find there's absolutely nothing, that's fine. But I think you still want to see, you know, 
you, you still want to see the human. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I that's one of the questions is that obviously nobody is perfect and no no robot is perfect as well. And I think uh, it's the acceptance that it will miss uh, cancers and and screening misses cancers as well. Uh, we can't, mammograms are only 90% effective. So we would only pick up 90% of the cancers you see on a mammogram anyway. And uh, if you, we did the research and it showed that it was just one by human reading by itself maybe 400 cancers will be picked up, but you would miss about 40. But if you had the AI reading by itself, probably will pick up 420 cancers, but it will miss 20. So already the two of us in combination might work very well together. Definitely the two humans working together picked up all 440. So it's, uh, I think it's sort of getting that message across. It's complex if you're talking numbers and statistics. And uh, what do you think of that? When I was called back the first time, I, I went back without a care in the world thinking, oh, I must have moved and they just need to redo the, you know, the screening. Yeah. So um, I, I said, you know, being called back is fine, I think. And it, I mean, it's amazing that a robot can do it. Well, that's what we've shown in the retrospective so far. And we think of doing a prospective trial where we'll be doing maybe silent reading. So it just reads in the background while the humans are reading. And then we match and see how things work together in future. And then another option then eventually is look at scenarios. So you could have a few scenarios where if the robot is very, very certain that it's normal, uh, it goes straight to normal. We don't even, never see a human, but it has to be a hundred, like maybe one in a thousand women might be missed by that. Do you think that's acceptable or do you think you still want a human in the beginning first before we go to that step? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because, you know, I, I can hear you talking about training training robots, which which sounds a very strange thing, doesn't it? Because I think as, as, as an ordinary person, you're thinking, well, robots can do it. But of course, it's that input um, from the humans and, and the practice. And presumably, the robots can just practice and practice and practice with many, many different things. Um, so the, there's that reassurance. And I, I think it would need a lot of explanation, not, not technical explanation, but just exactly what you've been saying today. I mean, have I picked up correctly that it, you know, in Scotland, there's always two people looking at a mammogram, which implies that elsewhere that's not the case. So it, it's just letting people know how it's being done. Um, now, I, I suppose as someone who, you know, I enjoy technology and using technology, if someone wasn't so keen, they may go, oh, 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 you know, maybe not so keen. But I think it's to do with sort of education and information, isn't it? Yeah. And it's very much so in the UK, the Four Nations and in most of Europe, it's read by two radiologists or uh, advanced practitioners in reading uh, to read it too. And the current model we're thinking of is that one of the reads, so one of the two is replaced by an AI. And I think that that will help in terms of the fact that the AI doesn't catch COVID. It doesn't fall asleep. <laughs> it keeps working. It's done. It can be read. And then uh, the second read will be by a human. So there's always someone, a human in the loop. And if there's a disagreement, it goes to a panel of humans or a, a third very experienced human reader to so be the judge to say, oh, well, AI wrong, human right, or whatever way around, just to call things back. And that's how we're looking to see that work in the near future. And maybe by the time 
your daughter Rosie gets to uh, 60 or 70, it might be independent at stage if we have such real confidence in it. Uh, so I think that's sort of the career, the path we're looking at, and as well as monitoring performance to make sure that it stays and performs within the parameters that, that we want the AI to do. So it's it's an exciting area. Um, I mean, how many how many reads or mammograms do you think we do in the northeast of Scotland a year? Well, a colossal number. <laughs> yeah. um, we, we cover all the women between 50 to 70 in a three-year round. So mm -hmm. we write about 25,000 women a year. And we've got good uptake in Scotland. Not, I want to be better, but we get about 21,000, 80% of women invited uh, showing up then for their for their mammograms. So good, Rosie, keep pushing there you know, and get above 80%. And yeah. because I, I've obviously had more than my fair share, because I'm, I'm still being seen regularly. So all the people who have had breast cancer, that's a colossal number of more mammograms that, that you're doing, not just the, the screening one. Yeah, exactly. And 22,000 uh, women get their mammograms read twice. So that's 44,000 reads of a mammogram by about five people in the centre in Aberdeen. So it's... it's it's such a serious read. You can't just have a bad day and, and just skim through it. Exactly. Because, so yeah. I mean, I, I am just so grateful to be here. And if it's five or six of us and three of us get knocked out by isolation from COVID, then that means a delay. And I think, uh, is there a worry when you have your mammograms that you wait for that result? I there, I had a mammogram in September and there was a, lo a longer delay till I got the letter. But I just phoned up and... Um, uh, the the surgeon that I'm under, her secretary said, we are so behind with the letters, but hold on, I'll find out. And she told me over the phone and then said, no, it's fine, you'll get a letter. So that was, you know, that was reassuring. That's good. Liz, do you feel the same sort of slight worry every time when you do a test? Yeah, um, yes. And I, I think because increasingly I've, I've sort of had friends who perhaps have uh, had a diagnosis uh, and I know they are, very grateful, as Rosie said, you know, the fact they went for their mammogram, um, you know, and again, in the same situation with a friend who who thought, no, no, I don't like it. It's not pleasant. I won't go. But is again, very, very grateful. Um, and as you say, there's always that, you know, you, you have it and it's it's fine. The ladies are always so wonderful when you go and, and so reassuring. But as you say, it's not until you get the letter in that you think, Oh, okay. Oh, it is all right then, because you know it, it's in your mind. You're checking yourself, um, but uh, you know, as Rosie said, there are occasions where th there's nothing for you to find yourself. That it's a, it's a hidden uh, problem. So uh, yes, I think the positivity of uh, you know the care that people get, and you hear such wonderful, wonderful um, experiences that people have had, and how they've been looked after, and how they've had, I think, how they've had things explained to them as well. Um, you know, I, th I think we are very lucky here. I would like to say that when I was first diagnosed, the day I had um, the first day, can't remember the name, um, I was allocated um, a breast care nurse in 2002 who I could phone at any time I wanted, and she was absolutely lovely. <laughs> and when I went back in 2014, I had the same one. She was still there. <laughs> and I, I said, I, I'm pleased to see you, but I'm not pleased to see you, if you know what I mean. 
but so I think the system was absolutely fabulous. And that's that's maintained throughout, yeah. Uh, Steph, you were going to say? I just said, you know, the program sounds great and uh, it's working really well. And, and I just wanted to kind of pull it back a bit to the AI element of it. Uh, I, I noticed all of you talked of robots, but just to be clear, it's not robots doing this. You know, uh, it, it is uh, there is that that confusion around AI and robots, um, you know, robotics is an applicant can be an application of AI, but AI is ultimately an algorithm, uh, you know, a, a, a kind of. Program, a piece of programming that does it. But uh, I mean, it, you know, AI and radiology, you know, Gerald, I'm sure you agree with me that the biggest potential people see there is kind of reducing variation, isn't it? Uh, because ultimately you could show three radiologists the same scan and you might get quite a high degree of variation. Um, and if one of those, you know, eyes on it is an AI that is always consistent. Like I think Liz saying, it doesn't get tired. You know, it doesn't get COVID. It doesn't get anything. It has this consistent level. It will always report the same. So then it kind of brings that variation down and kind of makes it a more consistent diagnosis. Would you agree, Gerald? Well, certainly I've been speaking to colleagues in America who who their screening programs only have one radiologist and they tend to use AI or CAD, computer detection as a background. And the ones who switch to AI say it's really comforting. It's something I know is it works because it's the research has shown that it works well in can, detecting cancers. It backs me up in making my decision and gives me confidence. And I think that's the way I see we're seeing it now with uh, the way it performs on the Grampian data. It's able to pick up pretty much ninety-five uh, percent of the cancers already on the system. And if it matches my decision, I feel much better. But we don't know yet because it's all in a research environment, because the patient's data has been anonymized in that research environment. And very much so in the future, we hope to be able to be able to see the AI and work with the AI. Uh, but it's going to take a little while. I, I think the next the next two years, we put in for funding and for a chance to, to see this in real life. Do you think that people will be interested in seeing how we work or, or demonstrations of that, uh, Liz or Rosie? Yes, I, I think so. Yes. I mean, I, I think not pushing it at people, but saying it's there for people who would be of interest because there will be some people, they just don't want to know. Um, you know, they just want to talk, talk to the clinician and that's it. But I think for other people, yes, I, I think they would be very interested. Um, and if it's an option, they can always say yes. They can always say no. Um, if they're not given the option, then, you know, they may be worrying a bit more, oh, you know, what is this AI thing? Because um, certainly I've spoken to a couple of people, you know, saying that I, I was going to be on this podcast today and they were saying, oh, that sounds really interesting. Oh, can you tell me more? And I said, well, no, not at the moment, but, you know, we'll be able to go back and, and spread the word a bit more. So, yes, I think the interest is there. I must admit, I knew absolutely nothing until we had that earlier discussion with Romana, um, you know, a wee while back. I did, you know, accord, I mean, AI to me was just a farming term to do with bulls. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay, <laughs> that's brilliant. That's, that's new to us then. <laughs> I, have, I have no technical knowledge at, at all. That's why I thought, you know, I, I, I'm actually pleased that I've got into this this afternoon. <laughs> I, I think that's really interesting, Rosie, because that touches on, you know, some of the stuff we're, we're, we're trying to do uh, at Scotland's AI strategy. Obviously, we kind of have a commitment for wider communication about AI and the kind of 
potential, you know, of AI and and how it can make a difference to people. AI and healthcare is one of the, you know, kind of, there's a lot of promise and, you know, potential in that field. So beyond breast cancer screening, you know, some other examples is, uh, for example, using AI uh, in stroke detection, um, because, you know, like stroke, uh, detecting stroke and what kind of stroke it is, is, a, is you know, uh, it's very time sensitive because, you know, you need to do it as quickly as possible to determine the right course of treatment. And having an AI backed up diagnosis, ha- you know, has huge benefits. Um, but, you know, it's not all just about um, medical imaging. It's not just about, you know, x-rays or CT scans or MRIs. You know, AI can do things like, you know, risk stratification, you know, kind of train on data and identify, uh, you know, people that may be of more risk of a particular condition and bring in an intervention earlier. Um, so so there's quite a lot of potential around AI, uh, but there's obviously like I you know, touched on earlier, the whole conversation of people's comfort levels with knowing whether a human is part of it, you know, and and there's also a lot of conversation about how AI can actually probably help clinicians do the tedious tasks that can be automated so they can concentrate on the people tasks that they're very good at, you know. Um, so So that's the other potential for AI. I mean, Gerald, I don't know if you want to kind of add a bit more on this. Oh, definitely. I, I think um, one of the questions we did ask in a survey of patients was, how do you judge your knowledge of AI? Uh, and quite a few women actually wrote quite good. And I was I was interested by that, by what, what is your perception or what do you understand then by the words AI, besides the uh, farming references, obviously. <laughs> so Liz, what, what would you judge as your, your sort of knowledge of AI? Not not an awful lot. Um, I'm I'm sort of aware of it and uh, and aware of sort of I suppose use of computer generated things and voice voice things perhaps more than anything else. Um, and and that's probably about it really. Um, I think it's almost one of those situations that when you're given some examples, you go, oh yes, oh right, that would be AI, would it? You know, so it's something that's sort of bubbling under the surface. You know a little bit about, but you perhaps know more than you, you you'd realised. Very much so. I mean, uh, using Siri or Alexa, or even the other day, I think I was on with uh, trying to find out something about British Airways, and the, it was someone who was talking back to me. But I do think that it was a chatbot. I think it was an AI rather than a human. <laughs> so <laughs> those interactions are beginning to come in, sort of even without you knowing and without getting permission. And I think that's something that we want to change and be in with Scotland's AI strategies, be really transparent and say, this is where we're going. This is how we're using it. Uh, because that's that's sort of the clarity and transparency we look for in, in, in the Scottish strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, no, and absolutely. I think, I and say, and I there's think. also, you know, uh, all around AI that there is a fear of AI as well, because, you know, science fiction doesn't help kind of thing you know and and that perceived oh my god the machines are going to take over and you know and things so so there is that narrative to to address and uh and um we're we're working on you know a kind of public engagement program around debunking myths about ai you know trying to be very clear to people what it can do what it can't do uh and and you know and it's just that you know people have in their heads 
you know, that AI is this all-encompassing thing that, you know, eventually there'll be super intelligent machines that are more intelligent than us. And there are, fair enough, you know, I have to be honest, there are people working on that, but they are currently decades away, if ever, from creating that. Uh, ultimately, AI technologies are very narrow. They are very good at what they are programmed to do. <laughs> and uh, and it's kind of us trying to get that across to people um, and, and, and kind of trying to dispel some of those fears, trying to debunk some of those myths and kind of empower people with the, uh, you know, a kind of basic understanding of the technology so that when you read the next uh, headline that says AI will solve this problem, you'll kind of take it with a pinch of salt, kind of going, hmm, does it really though? <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's what we're quite keen to do in, in our public engagement and the messaging we're getting out there. There's a lot of amazing examples of what AI can do and is actually doing, especially in Scotland, in the strategy, like I said, you know, Gerald's um, program was one of the, uh, you know, case studies we used. Uh, we also highlighted, say, the use of AI in the Scottish gaming industry. Um, and also, you know, there's a company in Scotland that uses AI to form conversational chatbots to support young people and their mental health. Um, and uh, we have, you know, uses of AI applied to satellite imaging data to help, uh, you know, uh, help Nature Scott with, uh, you know, the distribution of uh, farmland and the rewilding, et cetera, across Scotland. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, actual real cases of how AI is making a difference. So we're trying to push those out and trying to get people to understand, look, this is what it can do. But at the same time, also say, but, you know, what what you see in the Terminator is not what it can do, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, we, we work with, like, yeah, organizations such as, say, you know, the National Robotarium, because obviously AI is a very big feature of robotics. And, and a lot of their academics are very keen to get that message across as well, you know, what it is and isn't. Uh, so, I, I mean, it'd be interesting from your point of view, Liz and Rosie, do you think there's a responsibility for anyone using AI to make it clear that an AI was involved. So if you were getting, you know, a result saying your scan was, you know, unclear, we want you to come back again. Do you think it's important that the patient needs to know that it was an AI that picked that up? Personally, I, I don't think it's, it's important as long as somebody had picked it up. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have absolutely nothing in my head about AI whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But I'm awfully pleased that Scotland and Aberdeen in particular are you know at the top of the list because lots of things have been invented here the MRI scanner and things so I'm really chuffed to bits that things are are you know happening in Aberdeen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I think I think that's a great way to be. I think the, the only sort of problem with that would be would would it be causing more worry? And would people then begin to think, oh, oh well, oh, well, if it was a machine that did it, you know, oh, did they do it properly? You know, um, so it might add an, an extra layer of worry, which is a really worrying time anyway, perhaps is unnecessary. Um, and I think maybe, you know, because I haven't had a, a, such a diagnosis, I think it would be unfair for me to give an opinion on that. Um, but but I think it would be it could be an added worry. I think I'll leave it at that. And that's a slight concern on our side is if we put something down, then women say, no, I'm not going to count for my mammogram then. Uh, so that would affect uptake. So there's always a fine balance there of how the letter and the brochures uh, are crafted to try and encourage as many women to come as possible for their screening. 
we will screen 22,000 a year and we'll pick up about 200 cancers from that. So Liz, you're in the majority. The 21,800 will have normal diagnoses and 200 will have the cancer. So it's finding those little things, those little cancers among the large group of uh, women that we get every year. And I think that with such volume, uh, AI probably has a very good role, uh, very focused AI, breast cancer AI, which I don't think the Terminator will ever find any good use for uh, in finding cancers in the breast in a woman. But that's exactly what we would want to focus on uh, and use in, in, in Aberdeen. And then once we do the research in Aberdeen, it spreads to the rest of Scotland. So it goes to the Western Isles. So it go to Shetland, obviously, because they're linked to us. And every woman benefits in Scotland then. There's no rural urban divide. There's no advantage to a central belt or other areas. Everybody gets to use this technology equally. That sounds brilliant. Um, I'm going to hand back to Rosie and Liz. Uh, I have a. Um, are there any thoughts you want to share with any patients that may be skeptical or wary about the use of technology such as AI in healthcare? It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because mm -hmm. you know most people will have some concerns, but I think we put ourselves in the hands of the doctors and the clinicians for our diagnoses, for our information that they give us, and we go with their judgment. And I think if people like Gerald are thinking that this is going to be the best way to move forward, it's going to be a way that may be going to find people that otherwise it wouldn't have done, then I think, you know, we use that trust in, in, in a very special way. And we are trusting of our wonderful doctors and our, you know, our wonderful NHS. And I think if they feel that it's beneficial, then, you know, we would go with that. Certainly, that would be my personal view. Absolutely. I think, that, you know, the way forward, um, because of, you know, the lack of radiologists, um, it it must be, you know, a help for for you guys. But um, I I I personally would have absolutely no problem about pushing pushing the AI bit. That's brilliant, and I, I want to echo what Liz said. You know, the our wonderful NHS. You know, absolutely. <laughs> And, uh, and and thank you to our wonderful NHS. So, uh, I mean, I guess I'll close with um, with Gerald. Uh, you know, do you want to tell us a bit about what the next steps are for the program and its use of AI? I know you've kind of touched on it a bit, but uh, it'd be great to find out, you know, where does this go next? Yeah, thank you very much. And first of all, thanks to Rosie and Liz for being so supportive. Uh, the, the NHS is obviously... Uh, a very trusted organization, and that's a hard-earned trust. And in the way, if we endorse something, then it, it receives a, a stamp of approval that is accepted by a lot of patients. And in that way, we as the researchers, as the clinicians who are working with AI, have a really deep responsibility to make sure it works first and make sure it does what it says on the tin. And that's, that's absolutely number one before we will ever let it near a human in in uh, in terms of use and so far from what i've seen in our retrospective it has been really good very encouraging um another thing i didn't say was that between sc screening rounds the interval cancer so the women who've had their screening has been called normal and then in the three years you do develop cancers and the ai has been able to pick up about 20 to 30 percent of those ones that were never seen by a human so there seems to be some additionality to benefit of that. 
And the key now is, uh, can we get that into clinical practice, which is Steph's question. And hopefully in the next year or two, with the support of uh, National Services Scotland, who are our commissioners, and maybe Scottish government, and other groups that we are applying for funds to, we'll be able to start a prospective study where we'll have AI running first as a silent partner in the background, and then eventually, maybe in Aberdeen, hopefully we'll be the first in the country again, switch it on and uh, have it working uh, on women in the Northeast. But definitely there'll be a lot more events like this, public consultations, articles probably in the press and journal and even express, because we want the, everyone to be as aware of this as possible, uh, as, as shown by the conversations earlier in this uh, podcast. And again, thank you very much, Steph, for inviting us. Well, I guess that brings us to the end. I mean, thank you so much, Gerald. Uh, Liz and Rosie, don't know if you have any parting thoughts uh, before we say goodbye. Yes, I, th I think, and you know, it, it's been an honour to be part and parcel of having the discussions and putting various views forward. So, yes, thank you very much for including us. Thank you so much for your time today. And uh, we'll finish there. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.